Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Good evening, listeners. Do you want a Christmas cookie? You're my cookie, and I could gobble you up. Isn't that right, Troy? Oh, I could do some gobbling right about now, Roger. Hmm. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Gobble. We ain't talking cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, we're not talking cookies, but it's, it's been a while. Hey, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry fucking Christmas. Well, Merry the week before Christmas, actually. We are Merry two weeks before Christmas. We're saying Merry Christmas only because we obviously are going to happy holidays to everybody, but we're saying Merry Christmas specifically because this film that we are covering this evening is very much a Christmas film, as it even has the word Christmas in the title. So as you know, our December theme this year has been or is going to be holiday themed horror films. And it just happens that they all are Christmas horror films. Uh, If you did not check it out, you have to check out our to all a good night episode that was released last week. Oh, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. And we think this one is going to be even better because this title is one that, you know, it's, it's one of those films that I think when it first came out, got a lot of hate, a lot of hate. Oh yeah. And over the years, I, I really think it's gained a uh, quite a following, quite a quite a newfound respect. Yeah, I agree on that. I think you know, I think the issue with this film when it first came out is it's black. First of all, it's Black Christmas, two thousand six. Let's just be clear, two thousand six. We're doing the two thousand six remake of Black Christmas. Cue the cheering audio. Yay! Uh, we know there's a lot of gays out there who love this film. I personally love this film. I did select this because, honestly, I would dare say it's probably one of my favorite remakes of all time. Um, but when it came out, I think a lot of fans, there's a lot of Black Christmas purists of the original classic film, and understandably so. That is the film that really established the blueprint for what a slasher movie is supposed to be. And it also really you know, perfectly captured the holiday as well. It, it, it set the tone for what would become a massive subgenre, the holiday horror, the holiday slasher. There are many a Christmas slasher out there, but the original Black Christmas, it just stands above them all in sheer quality and aesthetic value. It's just a beautiful piece of cinema. Um, I think the, one of the reasons when this film originally came out, people didn't initially respond well to it just because it... It didn't try to be the original Black Christmas. The original Black Christmas is a very dry piece of cinema. It is very suspenseful. It's dark. It's moody. There's very little humor. This movie is only worried about being a popcorn flick. And if you're going to grade it as being a popcorn flick, I would dare say it passes with flying colors. Because good God is this movie fucking entertaining. Beginning to end. 
I agree. I I was one of those people because Black Christmas, as you know, and anybody that knows me very well knows, the original Black Christmas, 1974 Black Christmas, is my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, I will go to my grave declaring that it is m- a much better film than John Carpenter's Halloween. And in fact, I feel like John Carpenter has a lot to thank Black Christmas for, for Halloween, because the influence, uh, the Black Christmas's influence is stamped all over Halloween. I don't care what anybody says. John Carpenter had to have seen Black Christmas, you know, the, the POV shots of the killer, everything. I mean, there's so many similarities. Uh, but uh, not that I don't love Halloween. Don't come for me for it. Halloween is also one of my favorite horror films of all time. I feel like though it has stolen some of black Christmas's deserved praise and critical reception because black Christmas is to me a masterpiece of horror, but also a masterpiece of cinema. It is a very meticulously crafted film. The, it, the, it is creepy. There's an undeniable like dread throughout the film the performances are top-notch margot kidder for crying out loud um the character rest in peace yes the characters in, in the original black christmas are so distinct and so uh three-dimensional that, and and everything about the film to me is is just perfect so when this remake was announced i was not surprised because this was the early 2000s or the mid 2000s when remakes were just coming out left and right so it was only you know in my mind it was only a matter of time before we heard of a black christmas remake and when it was announced i was like okay here we go but i i I gave it a chance i went and saw it on opening day christmas day 2006 i spent at the theater watching this film and i was not impressed (laughs) because I was going into it thinking, you know, Black Christmas is such a sacred influential film that if you're going to remake it, you better, you better do it really well and you better, you know, do it justice. And I just thought, felt like the first time I viewed this film that it was just a piece of gory trash. I'll be honest with you. I I was so mad I'm like, oh my God, they they ruined, how could they do that to Black Christmas? How could they take the original and shit on it so much? However, my opinion has changed. I, I let go of my feelings for the original film and watch this again as its own thing. And I appreciated it much more. Uh, and now it is a annual required viewing for me. And actually, each time I watch it, this film, I will say, despite the drastic shift in tone that this film takes from the original film. This film also plays hella tribute to the original film. Oh my God. There are so many things that are not just that are subtly inserted that are paying homage to the original film. Oh, absolutely. So I appreciate it much more now than I did when I first saw it. Yeah, well, I, I think that one of the biggest things it has going for it is you use the term meticulous to describe the original movie. And while this movie, this specific, the 2006 version, may be far more of um, a cheese fest, that doesn't mean it is not well thought out. If anything, one of the areas I think that this movie succeeds is that 
It pays such homage to the original that it chooses to delve significantly deeper into the, the backstory provided in the original movie, only through the, you really only hear about Billy's backstory through these phone calls in the original movie. This movie says, fuck it, we're giving you a full, we're giving you three flashbacks, like we're giving you a full backstory. It almost in a way plays out like a fan film, or in a way it almost feels like a sequel to me. A movie that chooses to further explore something that was really just kind of like a thin veil, a thin veneer over the rest of the original movie. You have this small element of Billy's backstory and who he is. You really did not get a lot of it. This movie decides to really explore a lot of time delving into who Billy is, delving into very tiny, minute little elements of the dialogue you heard over those phone calls. The name Agnes plays a major factor into this version of the film. Um, and you could tell whoever wrote this script did their fucking homework and appreciated the original film. They did not go out trying to make the same movie, but they did want to make a movie that acknowledged the original. And I, I think it's, you see the original Black Christmas smeared all over this one. Yeah, well, the writer is the director. It's Glenn Morgan who wrote the script and he directed the film. And he definitely was a huge fan of the original film. And in fact, his original vision for this film was for it to be very much along the lines of the original 1974 Black Christmas that was going to be more suspenseful, uh, more buildup, not very gory. However, unfortunately, you know, the studio jumped in. Weinstein. Yeah. Weinstein's jumped in and said, nope. Can't do that because guess what's really popular right now? It's the torture porn shit and the, and the dimension extreme shit. So we got to amp up the violence. So he had to go in and, you know, add, add a lot of the elaborate death scenes, add the elaborate ending of the film that takes place in the hospital that I don't think was in the original script. So definitely some students studio interference. I would have loved to have seen his, his original vision because from what I've read and from what I could tell, he was a, a very much a fan of the original film and wanted to pay it. Dare I say proper tribute with this particular entry. And unfortunately it didn't really happen that way. And he really hasn't done anything since this film because it bombed so bad and was a critical disaster. But again, I think, reviewing this now and watching it from a different perspective you are right this film is hella entertaining is it better than the original film no get out of here with that nonsense i've i've seen that posted people saying this is better than the original film no it's not no it's not i wouldn't say i wouldn't say it's better by any means but i would say you know i go i mean personally when i go to watch horror movies i go in for different experiences sometimes i want to dry you want to be entertained and, yes yeah yeah, if I'm going and looking for a popcorn flick, this is at the top of my fucking list. I'm going to be honest, any time of year. Um, and, and one interesting thing I want to say before we really get into the meat and bones of the movie, what you said about the Weinstein's interference, that, I mean, there is a lot about this movie, and not just the movie, but the promotion for this movie that was really deceiving and really interesting is how they were trying to advertise this film. When they actually advertised the, the, the movie, when it was originally coming out, if you watch the original trailers, you'll see that there's a, a significant amount of those trailers are filled with footage that is not actually seen in the film. It was, yeah, it was shot separately with a different actress. It was shot separately with and, with and without the director's right. knowledge. 
the director did not the director did not know they reshot the that they they reshot specific scenes just for a trailer until he actually saw the trailer so yeah yeah there was a lot of studio interference with this film yeah which i mean whether or not that had a major playing factor for the final product i I mean at the end of the day what we get the final cut of the film that was released what we are seeing is an is a severely entertaining piece of cinema whether or not it's because of their interference i don't know i don't care i love this movie beginning to end um i would be interested to see maybe an initial cut of the movie, maybe some of the footage that didn't make it. There's a lot of things I I feel that were adjusted and changed. I'd be curious to see how the movie was originally meant to play out. But I mean, to say that impacts my love for this final cut of the film, I, I can't say that I still adore this movie. Yeah, no, and I get it. And you know, when I say people, I, I personally don't think this film is from a filmmaking perspective is anywhere close to being as good as the original film. Uh, there are a lot of issues with this film script wise, um, things that don't make a lot of sense. Like I said, the, the first film is pretty meticulous. It's pretty well crafted. The characters have more, way more dimension than any of these characters in this remake uh, do. I mean, I can see someone saying, I would agree if someone said this film was maybe more entertaining than the original. Okay. I give you that. The original is a very slow film in parts, but to say it's a better film, eh, you lose me there. I'm sorry, Um, but I get it. But hey, we're going to dive into it. At least we're not talking about the 2019 version. And and, and Roger, I know, I I think, I think, you know what I think, if if I have anything positive to say about the 2019 remake, and I use that very loosely, is that it caused a lot of people to go back and revisit this one and realize this one is not nearly as bad as they originally might have thought it was. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Compared to that steaming pile of shit. Ugh. Lord, Lord. Well, I mean, there's, you know, and this and this is right off the bat, if we're really going to jump into the, the, the prim- primary elements of this movie and what makes it tick, um, one thing that this movie does get right that I do not feel that the remake really captured on anywhere close to this, uh, the 2019 remake that is, is this movie right off the fucking bat, it is smothered and smeared with Christmas. From beginning to end, I would dare say this is the single most Christmassy Christmas slasher I've ever seen. I agree. We're going to get into that. But before we get into our review, because you're, you're heading right into, we got, we just got to shout out our Patreon, of course. Oh, of course. Of course. You know, I we, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm chopping at the bit. Troy. I know. I know. So I'm going to do it quick, guys. <laughs> hey, if you enjoy our content, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. We have exclusive Patreon bonus episodes every month. In fact, I just posted our December mini episode for our level one patrons. Uh, which literally costs you less than pennies a day to get access to. We count down our top three underrated holiday horror films. And we didn't limit it to Christmas. So you guys are getting a wide variety of films that we feel are underrated holiday themed horror films. And then we have our two full length Patreon episodes coming up this month that are also holiday horror themed. And we have uh, four full length episodes up there right now. Um, and two bonus mini episodes. We have all kinds of stuff. So you get early, early access to see what we're covering each month. So yeah, check it out. The link will also be in the show notes. If you want to give us some Christmas, you know, love, 
for a very uh, minimal amount, like I said, pennies a day will get you access to this ex- exclusive episode. So there, there's our Patreon uh, plug. Okay, so now we, we can go. we can satiate <laughs> uh, Roger and get right into black. Well, it don't Christmas. it don't need to be Christmas to get gifts under your tree. Our Patreon's giving you gifts every month, every month. So, but right now our gift to you is a very extensive deep dive into 2006 Black Christmas. A fucking favorite. I can't wait, Troy. Yeah, I, I'm I'm oozing with excitement. The anticipation's killing me. And when Roger, um, when uh, Roger oozes, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> oh my god, my goodness. Um, but yeah, no, like uh, as I was saying, the the overall vibe of this film, the aesthetic of this film, the way this movie is filmed is absolutely stunning. This movie captures better than any film I can think of in the genre that is set within a holiday in general. Not just Christmas, just any holiday film I can think of. I mean, every frame of this movie is just dripping with Christmas imagery. The score, the lighting, the colors, the costumes. I mean, they just, from an aesthetic standpoint, they knock it out of the fucking park. Yeah, I mean, the opening shot of the film is of the exterior of the sorority house, and it is decked out in Christmas decor, Christmas lights, Christmas um, lighted figures all over the porch. Every window has lights, Christmas lights. It's very festive. And there is Christmas music. The score is very Christmas themed. I think it's what's the song that's playing in the opening? I know they use the dance of the sugar plum fairies quite a bit as their uh, as part of the score. Um, they do. Yeah, but you get a z- nice zoom in to all the different windows of the sorority house uh, with the different, you see the different uh, girls inside doing various things. It's very similar to the opening of the original film in terms of a zoom shot looking into a window because that's how the opening of the original Black Christmas begins. I mean, I got to say, once you really get introduced to the cast right off the bat, and we're going to get to know these girls as it progresses, but what a stacked cast of performers uh, when you think of girls who are a prominent within the mid 2000s mid 2000s but also went on to a lot of them have very prominent careers within the genre i mean this really is kind of like a hall of fame of screen queens it, it features some phenomenal performances i think uh you've got katie cassidy who's the remake queen uh, i mean she's been in some shit movies but, I mean, she's our leading girl. She was in The Winter Stranger Calls. She was in The Awful Nightmare on Elm Street. But, I mean, she is pretty great in this role, I would say. She's definitely no Olivia Hussey. But she is very likable and very sweet. Yeah, she's not given the backstory that Olivia Hussey's given to really bite, sink her teeth into. And that's another issue with this yeah. remake that I wish they would have. They wish they would have given these characters a little bit more dimension. Yeah, well, they, sac- they definitely sacrificed dimension for headcount. Because there's yeah. way more girls here, but I will say that though they have a for a more of a limited um, screen time for each girl, they still have rather defined personalities. You've got Michelle Trachtenberg, whom we all know from Buffy, uh, Lacey Chabay from Mean Girls, and literally every Lifetime movie ever made, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, whom I fucking love, and um, her horror movie lineup is pretty extensive because she's got The Thing. 10 Cloverfield Lane, Death Proof, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and Final Destination 3. And the reason I circle over to that is 
The director of this film was a second unit director for Final Destination 3, and that also brings in Crystal Lowe, who now goes, who's now known as Yonke Crystal Lowe. She goes by her, um, her birth name, but she was also in Final Destination 3, also in Wrong Turn 2, and finally, this brings us to Kristen Cloak, whom we also know from the Final Destination franchise. In the original film, she was the teacher, but she's also married to the director, who also directed Willard, in which she played the psychiatrist. So there is a lot of weaving and like intertwining with these performers. A lot of these actors have worked with each other before, worked with the director before, are somehow like tied to each other. And I find it really interesting how they came to this cast, but this cast has held up. Yeah, it's one of the best casts of a 2000 horror film by far. I mean, they really got, yeah, you're right. They really brought together kind of the who's who of young, you know, fresh actresses at the time and, mm-hmm. put, them in, yeah. and put them in this film. And top it off with a, an amazing, I don't want to say cameo because she's a major character, but Andrea Martin. Oh, yeah. Phil from the original Black Christmas who has an illustrious career. Yes. Oh, wait, wait, yeah. Everyone knows that, that Andrea Martin is kind of an icon. She was Phil. Yeah. She was Phil in the original and she was in my big fat Greek wedding. And she's been in, all, she was been in all kinds of stuff. Uh, we also are forgetting the, uh, the resident hunk of the uh, sorority, Oliver Hudson, who plays Kyle, who is the brother of actress, Kate Hudson and the son of Goldie Hawn. My goodness, I, I did not know that, to be honest. I had no idea. I just thought, he's very handsome, but he looks far too old to be hanging yeah. out with these sorority girls. But I'll take it. Yeah, that's Kate Hudson's <laughs> brother and Goldie Hawn's son, Oliver. Yep. I mean, what a stat cast, man. Like, it really, like, we've got some great performers. And I, I think that, like we said, even though a lot of these girls don't have the depth and nuance of the original characters in the original film, they do take time to flesh these girls out. Each girl has a, a defining personality trait. Like Dana is like very self-obsessed and materialistic. Or Heather, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she's like Southern money. And she's very rich and she's just kind of like uptight. These girls are at least thought out. They don't have the backgrounds and the extensive exploration that the original film provided. But they're still authentic, textured characters. Yeah, so as the film opens, we zoom into an upstairs bedroom and we get who we find out is Claire, another nod to the original film. Claire in the original film played by, remember who she's played by? From oh, well, we just reviewed it. I know, I know. Lynn Griffin. Uh, so we get a another a, another uh, uh, homage to the original film by naming this opening kill Claire because what she's doing is she's having her wine and writing out Xmas Christmas cards. I said Xmas cards, but that's actually the film is Black Xmas if you look at the box art and poster art. Anyway, so as she's uh, writing out her Christmas card, she hears kind of a, a ruffling coming from her closet. So she goes into her closet, looks around, and again, very much the opening scene of the original. We see some um, clothes and and, uh, dry cleaning bags, and nothing's in the closet. So she goes and sits back down, and this is when we see like this figure underneath her bed start to crawl out, real creepy. And as she goes to reach for her pen to finish her Christmas card, we get a plastic bag over the head. And then stabbed in the eye with a fountain pen. So right away, we know that this film is a little bit more brutal than the original. 
kind of sets the stage for what we can expect. I do love. I mean, I love the fact that they kept the the the, the bag, the, the the plastic bag, as a as a as a major kind of a, a weapon in this film. Yeah, and I think that this opening scene does a phenomenal job of basically letting you as the viewer know what you're getting into this movie is very much aware of the original film but it's also doing its own thing the bag sequence is definitely a hat tip to the original movie but then yeah they they take it to a way more brutal place a a place that very much involves eyeballs which was a very strange decision but okay i'll I'll go with it it's the 2000s like uh, eyeballs okay um but like when when this hits and it's brutal and it's quick and all of a sudden that title card hits like hard you get this bright red title card black xmas um like i think it really does a phenomenal job of setting the tone for what's about to come yeah absolutely it lets you know that hey this this is we're not playing around you know so we cut to uh clark sanitarium uh, the orderly is there delivering his, the Christmas cookies and treats to the various patients, including we get one character who looks who thinks he's Jesus. Apparently, uh, looks like Jesus is even talking like Jesus. Santa shows up. There's a guy in a Santa costume that shows up, and the guard is like, "Hey, what are you doing here? This is no place for Santa Claus." And the Santa's like, "Well, I thought I was in the children's ward, but I must have got lost." And then he notices a name on one of the doors uh, that it's Billy Lynn's, and we find out a little bit of Billy Lynn's backstory. We find out that his mom kept him locked in the attic, and he tries to escape the asylum every year. And then there's this weird scene where this orderly gives him a plate that has Christmas cookies and like shredded chicken that looks disgusting on it. And the orderly is like, tastes like chicken because it's chicken. (laughs) And then gives it to Billy who starts eating it like a dog with his hands. And then the orderly says, it's closest to how mom used to taste. I'm like, what the fuck kind of hospital is this? Yeah, I definitely don't think any hospital would ever, like, feed into that kind of insanity. Like, yes, here's something. Here, let's keep, let's keep, like, exacerbating this issue and making it worse. Let this man think that he's eating human flesh so he lusts for it further. I don't think that's a good idea. But let's be real. Everything within the Clark Sanitarium um, is is very over the top. Like, it is rather exaggerated. Nothing really goes by protocol. Everybody who works there knows about the Billy Lure. And, like, t- there's, like, one, like, cop that's working there who starts, like, telling the story of Billy Lunds. And, like... <laughs> There are so many characters who narrate the story of Billy over the course of this movie. There's like 10 people who join in the story at some point. But um, this is really where it kicks off, and it is very exaggerated. But I love it. I think I think right off the bat, you know that this is going for a completely different tone than the original. And if you can accept that and understand that, it makes for a very exciting experience. Because it's it's not trying to be the original Black Christmas. And and I think they're really trying to set that groundwork and that understanding right away. One of the things that makes that very clear is when Billy slides his little door open and starts eating his chicken that's supposed to be human flesh, you see that his hands are an electric yellow. And, like, this was a strange, bold choice on behalf of the artistic team. But um, 
as you learn with Billy's backstory, like, he has a liver disorder, and his skin is, like, literally, like, highlighter yellow. Um, it's exaggerated, it's extreme, but within this specific universe, this specific cinematic universe that is not the 1970s Black Christmas, after a while, it kind of actually works, because everything else is so exaggerated. But they really set that tone right off the bat. Everything within this with a Santa character and everything. It's just like a little bit larger than life. Not even a little bit. It's a lot larger than life. But um, it's fun. It is fun. I got to say, the all the stuff in the sanitarium reminded me of the Rob Zombie's Halloween yes. remake. So I'm wondering if he saw this remake and kind of got inspiration for giving Michael Myers such an extensive backstory in his remake. Because if you think about the two films... These two films, Halloween and this one, Black Christmas, they're very similar. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you know what? One thing I'll say about this one, this version, though, I think Rob Zombies goes way too deep into the backstory of Michael Myers in the sense of like the whole prologue and the first literally half of the movie is just devoted to Michael Myers' backstory. This one, it kind of goes back and forth for a bit. It sprinkles it throughout. It keeps giving you... Uh, enhancements on Billy's story. You keep learning more and more as it goes on, but I do appreciate that you get a full explanation for how Billy manages to get out of the sanitarium. Because so a lot, how many times have we just like had to like swallow the pill that like they got out, they don't tell us how, but somehow a, a mass killer has gotten out of an insane asylum and now they're killing. This, you get a very elaborate plan. <laughs> you do it, but it it it's not realistic. Like we have... How many fucking movies do we have to watch where the, uh, this is a very loosely run <laughs> mental hospital, right? It's like the one in the the pit. People are just running around dead pit. They're just running around doing whatever they want. Nobody seems to care what the client, the patients are doing. Oh yeah. Because how he escapes, how he escapes is a little eye roll inducing, but I I'll buy it because like you said, everything else in this film is just so exaggerated that I'm going to perfectly buy that Billy Lentz escapes how he ends up escaping, which we'll get to here in a minute because after we get introduced to this, you know, the, the asylum and Billy being in there, eating chicken. Cuts to <laughs> eating ch disgusting. Uh, we cut to the characters of Kyle played by the handsome, even today, who Oliver Hudson and Kelly, who is played by Katie Cassidy. They're making out in a car outside the sorority house and she has to go in and he's like, oh, to stay with me. And she's like, no, I got to go into my sorority uh, sisters. You know, we have, we're going to spend Christmas together. We have all week together, you know, but I need to go in and, and spend time with my family as she calls her sisters. And he's like, well, I'm your family now. Roger, if I had a dollar for every time someone in this film says I'm your family, I wouldn't have to be doing this podcast. I'd be on a beach in fucking Mexico. <laughs> You're my family now is a line used prominently throughout the course of this film in many different contexts every by every character every yeah, character. and sometimes it's like uplifting and sometimes it's like foreboding and threatening but yeah it is very prominently used um though i will say katie cassidy and i started to go into this a little bit before during like the character breakdown but um her character kelly while no olivia hussey what a peach she is very endearing her early dialogue about not having a large family and really wanting to experience a holiday with with a large family and even down to like, you know, her cell phone having that like Christmas ringtone, like they do a very good job of making her just believably sweet and genuine and kind and all of the traits I want in a good final girl. 
I think this is quite the quite a good final girl. You know, when I saw this film, I hated her. When I first saw this film, I hated her. I'm like, of all the actresses that you could have picked to be the final girl. I mean, you have Lacey Charbet for crying out loud. Give me her as the final girl. Uh, but I've grown to really like her a lot in this film. I mean, you better be sweet and charismatic when your dad is David Cassidy. I mean, come oh, on. Oh, we love David Cassidy. But And one yeah. thing we have to acknowledge is while this is a remake and in many senses of the term uh, is very much taking from material from the original movie, this is not the original Black Christmas and Kelly is not Jess. Kelly is in no way going through the same journey as Jess. No. She's far more simplified. But in the terms of a final girl, when you want a character that at the end of the day steps up to the plate, kicks some ass, and, I mean, does does what she's there to do, like, I got to say, Kelly ain't that bad. <laughs> no, she's not. And actually, I'm, I'm telling you, Roger, I, when, I, when I saw this in the theater, I was like, oh, my God, the worst of the characters is the final girl. Ugh. But I, I really have grown to really like her. And she's actually a lot stronger uh, and a little bit, I'm going to say this, we're very loosely, uh, a little bit more layered than I thought, even though, again, I don't necessarily think any of these uh, sorority girls are anything but one dimensional. I mean, I know you said you think they are, but I, I still don't. Uh, but I think the character of Kelly has a, a little bit of spark to her as we find out. And I, I really have appreciated, come to appreciate her as a final girl, because you're right. She, when the time comes, she does not back down. Like she is going to fight. Yeah. And just to clarify, when I say one, you know, the difference between one dimensional and having very layered textured characters. Yeah. These characters, like I couldn't sit there and tell you their full backstories. I don't know exactly what's going on in their lives aside from this specific day in which they're being targeted by a serial killer. But the chemistry between this cast is phenomenal. These girls feel real. I feel like I am in a sorority house with real human beings. And while we don't get a ton of, we don't, I mean, like, yeah, we don't, like, we don't get, like, these really, like, human scenarios where they're, like, shedding their skin and, like, to really delving deep into their life stories. There are several plot points explored in the sense of like with a plot point with Kyle and everything where these girls team up together and stick up for each other. They defend each other. They take care of each other. When when Lauren starts puking in the toilet, Michelle Trachtenberg's been through this shit 10,000 times with her. You can tell she knows what she's doing. Like, I believe that these girls are real. In a, in a movie that feels very exaggerated and very at times out of reality, I believe that these girls are real people. I, you know, I guess it's, I guess this is the one part of the original that I'm not able to let go because I love the characters in the original film. I love Barb, Margot Kidder's character. Uh, I, you know, even the Phil character and the Jess character, I have a lot of uh, strong feelings for, and I just don't have a character in this particular film that I, that I feel like is anywhere close to one of those. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where as a, the original is my favorite horror film of all time. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm probably one of the only people in the entire fucking world that has a black Christmas tattoo. <laughs> I mean, that's how big of a fan I am in the original. So there are some things that I can't really separate when you're, if you're going to remake a film and call it black Christmas, of course, I'm going to, you know, bring in things from the original into this one. And I just wish 
that this film would have given us like a Barb character. Yeah. Even, even the Miss Mac character in this film, I'm sorry, is worthless. I'm sorry, Andrew Martin. I love you, but your Miss Mac is one of the, is not. Good. That's fair. That's fair. We will get there. Yeah. We will get there. I mean, you, you're talking, look at the Miss Mac in the original film. How many one-liners that bitch has that, that Homo still quote today. Yeah. Well, and going, going full circle with this, Troy, I do think this does come down to the one issue in the sense of having such a large cast is they basically took these personality traits and they spread them thinly across a far larger cast of girls. Well, let's get to let's get to Miss Mac because I'm going to have a lot to say about her. So, uh, Katie Cassidy, Kelly's character, leaves uh, Kyle in the car, and as she goes inside, he gets a phone call. It's it's really interestingly done. He's he doesn't say anything. He's listening to somebody on the phone, but he's looking up, and you see that it's a sorority sister up on her cell phone, like yelling at him. And he is not responding and she throws her phone down. So right away, it's kind of heavily implied that that's who's calling him and that she's upset about something. I thought that was a kind of a cool little interaction. Now we get introduced to Mrs. Mack, played by Andrea Martin from the original film, who is looking for Billy's present under the Christmas tree. Apparently, it's tradition in this house that they get a present for Billy every year. I do not buy this part of the, the of the plot at all. I don't think that Mrs. Mack is going to buy make the sorority sisters buy a present for a serial killer that murdered his family in the house every year, particularly how because of how much of a pussy she becomes here in a little bit through the film. I don't I don't buy that. I hated this part where she's like the whole half the film. She's like, "Where's Billy's present? Where's Billy? Come on, really." Really? But this is where I feel, Troy, that this movie would almost have been done better promoting itself as a sequel. Yes. Because this feels like a continuation of some early concepts from the original movie. And if you if you fast forward, like, you know, if the original movies in the 19 mid 1970s, this is 2006. The time has passed at this point in the game for this to become something of lure of like local Mm -hmm. urban legend. Mm -hmm. This would make a lot more sense to me. But for this as like a standalone film, yes, it does seem kind of forced. It seems kind of shoehorned in there that um, that they're basically trying to kind of jam all of this exposition into the storyline. Well, and again, I keep going back to the original. I'm sorry. This will be my I'm, I'm trying not to because we are trying to separate the two. But one of the things that made the original so effective is that the sorority sisters and Miss Mac and everyone involved had no clue that Billy even existed. You know, they had no clue who was terrorizing them. There wasn't a history of the house. Um, so the, it really was just some random person that we maybe assume used to live in the house, but there's no backstory given. Here, they're just, they're trying to force feed this backstory to us to the point where, yes, you have the, the house mother of the sorority all hell, all gung ho about buying a present for a serial killer every year that lived in the house. They, they're very well aware of them. They're very well aware of the house's history. It just makes it that less effective because when things start happening, they immediately, they immediately are like, Oh, it must be Billy. I mean, I, I like the fact that in the original, you had no idea who Billy was. The, the sorority, the, the girls had no clue that this Billy person even existed. Now it's just kind of shoehorned to the point where it's like, eh, you know, I wish they wouldn't have done that, but 
We also then are introduced to the other characters, Dana, played by Lacey Charbet, who, like you said, very right away, we we realize she's kind of into herself, very sarcastic. Uh, Heather, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is like another good, good Southern church-going girl. And Melissa, played by Michelle Trackenberg, who to me, I don't know about you, but I feel like is the least developed of, of all of them. Yeah, I feel like, especially with what her character seemed to be, there was so much potential for her really stepping up and being a fucking badass. And her her story arc, as it evolves, I really wanted so much more from this character. Because none of these girls play their roles poorly. Let's be clear. They're all fantastic. I just want more. I want more. I want more. I want to know more about who they are, and I want to see more happen as the movie progresses but i mean what i guess we're restricted to a you know a standard cinematic time frame we can only expect so much but i would i would really love to have seen more with that character we also need to acknowledge the character of lauren uh played by crystal um oh my god what's her crystal low um who is the closest i would say if you look at anybody in this film kind of being like an archetype of barb from the original film She's the closest to it because they they take basically one aspect of Barb, her being a lush, and they just amplify it. <laughs> they make this character of Lauren so fucking drunk, but she does spew a few really great bits of dialogue talking about... You can tell that she's very disenchanted with the holiday. You can tell this character is over it, does not want to celebrate. Uh, she speaks a lot about how Christmas is nothing but a ripoff of, like, pagan holidays before, and... um. She doesn't get to do a ton before she becomes so drunk she's unable to operate. But I do like her character, and I think she taps in a bit to that Barb um, character structure. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lauren is definitely, I mean, I have that same note. Lauren is is definitely supposed to be the Barb, although she's nowhere near as... Uh, charismatic as Margot Kidder's character was. I mean, it's not her fault. She wasn't really given a lot to do except drink and puke. So we do get Lacey Charbet's line about burying a hatchet. Like they're like, oh, we need to bury the hatchet, something. And then Lacey Charbet, there's a very ominous music. And she's like, I'd like to bury the hatchet right in my sister's head. It's like they're trying to establish like red herrings. And you're like, there's no way. We know there's no way Lacey Charbet is the goddamn killer. Quit it. Okay. <laughs> well, and beyond that, this movie does have some actually genuinely good red herrings. So you don't even really need it. You don't need that. I almost take this more as like because some of the characters are underwritten a bit, they do take some chances to have some funny, quirky camera, like cinematic camera moments where like the camera will zoom in or push in on a character as they're having a thought. They have another one later on with um, with Mrs. Mack as she bites into a marshmallow and it's very quirky. But I'm just saying like I feel like these little moments are meant to just kind of give you a little bit more texture to these characters and what they're thinking and how they're operating. Yeah. So after this scene, we do cut back now to the sanitarium and Billy has somehow he put a, he wrapped a present and he puts it through his door as the security guard sitting there. So the guard goes and gets this little box. It's, it's wrapped in newspaper and opens it. And it's all it is, is it's a piece of paper that he opens up and it says, I'll be home for Christmas. The security guard's like, hell you will. And he looks in the room and he doesn't see Billy. So he goes into his room. And I mean, I don't know. 
I'm not going to open this guy's room. I'm sorry. If he just shoved a box through a thing that says, I'm going to be home for Christmas, I'm going to be like, yeah, right. I'm going to leave him in his room. I'm certainly not going to unlock his door. Go in and look for him, particularly when you just got done telling another person that this guy tries to escape every year. Why are you unlocking his room and going in it? Anyways, he does. And he gets in the room and we see that Billy has like pulled his sink away from the wall. And like, there's this, like now there's like this big hole in his wall. So the uh, guard gets down on his hands and knees to go look in the hole with the assumption that Billy probably crawled through it. In the meantime, Billy comes out from under his bed and has been sucking on a candy cane to make the end sharp and stabs the guard in the neck and basically just walks right out. (laughs) He does basically walk right out, but I gotta say, kudos to this film for incorporating so many holiday-themed kills. Because even the fact that, like, even his first kill, he manages to incorporate a candy cane, like, good on them. At least it was thought out. Yes, yes, this hospital is completely, like, understaffed. Um, It is far too easy for this gentleman to, to get out of here, but it doesn't mean it's not entertaining. I mean, and I will say also kudos to him for going through that whole plot of like making it seem like he's dug up the toilet and climbed out through a hole to lure the security guard in there to be like, oh, no, he's already gotten out when really he was hiding under the bed. So like, OK, at least they like put a little bit of thought into it because they could have made it that much simpler. But um, yeah, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Is it like the best writing I've ever seen on on cinema? Uh, no, but I'll take it for what it is. <laughs> Yeah, so we go back to the sorority house. Kelly goes upstairs to tell everyone they're opening presents. This is when we're introduced to Lauren because she wasn't down in the living room the first scene with all the girls. She comes out of her room, and as Kelly is knocking on the door, she's been she's been doing it very nicely. She's like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, we're opening presents. Well, Lauren comes out and is like, you, you don't know what you're doing. You got to get these bitches, you know, down there so she's like pounding on their doors now saying come down come down we're opening presents or i'm taking your present um so kelly tries to do this to um to megan who is in her room watching a video of her basically having sex with the kyle character that we got introduced to first so lauren knocks or kelly knocks on her door and megan's like leave me the fuck alone fuck christmas so they go all they go back downstairs. Her and her and Megan, Kelly and Megan, go downstairs. And as Megan's sitting there, she hears like pounding in the attic. So she goes to the attic, and I love that the attic and the hallway is pretty much a exact replica of the original film. Oh my god, they did such a phenomenal job recreating the the look. Yes, yeah. it was exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. The ladder going up to it, everything. This moment with Megan, I gotta say, uh, again, characters far more simple than the initial film, but I do love that there's this whole side story with Megan having banged Kelly's boyfriend, and in this moment, she's sitting there, she's obviously regretting everything and realizing what's about to come to light, and Kelly's at the door, and after Megan snaps at her, Kelly is the one to say, are you okay? Do you need to talk? Like, Kelly is immediately trying to, like, comfort her. And this and, and the whole time, it's because Megan's been banging her man. So I, I do love this, like, kind of, um, this, this side story that's trying to unfold. Um, while it's certainly no, it's certainly not as nuanced or um, emotional as, as Jess's story in the original film. There is this kind of whole plot about 
these girls kind of going behind each other's backs, making mistakes, having regrets. And Kelly really does rise up as kind of the heart of this specific sorority, which makes it even, I think, for Megan, even harder of a pill to swallow that she fucked over her sorority sister. Um, but it does lead to this very, very cinematic sequence that I have to say, um, for the first time getting into this attic space, the whole lead up, her walking down the path uh, of the hallway, the lights are flashing. It feels extremely seasonal, but very moody, very ominous. You get her into the attic, and you do have that moment, that classic moment of seeing the figure sitting in the rocking chair. Um, and again, you can tell that these filmmakers did their homework. You can tell that they cared to be making a movie that is a reimagining of a film that came before it. Something that the 2019 movie, all of my bitching aside... But just speaking out of reality, something the original the, the uh, 2019 film lacked was acknowledgement of the original film. And here you have a sequence that feels very much in line with the material that we saw in the 1973 film. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say lacked, Roger. I would say non-existent. There is nothing in the 2009 remake that even harkens back to the original film. Like, I don't even know why they... Well, I know why they called it Black Christmas. They were trying to do a cash-in. But, yeah, the 2019 version, literally, there's nothing in that film. Nothing that connects to the original film but in any way. It's just a ridiculous, ridiculous film. This one, yes, you were very right. The filmmaker behind this, you could tell he knew the original film very well um, and wanted to at least, you know, uh, pay homage to it in, in, in a way that was a lot more modern, you know, a, a more of a modern take on it. But yeah, she goes up to the attic and she finds Claire's body in the rocking chair with the bag of paper, the plastic bag over her face. And is immediately has a bag thrown over her head. This killer must have a just a pack of green plastic bags like he stole from a grocery store because he has a bag for everybody. But he throws it over Megan's face and then stabs her and ugh, rips her eyeball out. Like sticks his finger in, in through the bag through her eye and just rips it out. It's disgusting. This point of the movie really... This is when you get the introduction to what becomes a very strange eyeball fetish that you are heavy-handed over the course of the whole movie. One interesting thing that they chose to do is really focus on eyeballs in this remake of Black Christmas. Um, I don't know why. I, I Even within the sense of like the story that they tend to provide or they choose to provide here, um, as you learn more about Billy, I still don't feel it really warrants the whole like, eyeball fascination or the ripping out of eyeballs all it really does is provide a very grotesque piece of visual of imagery but it doesn't feel necessarily like in line with everything else about the film i'll take it for what it is i love a horror movie eyeballs make my skin crawl the idea of my eyeball being removed is horrifying but it, it does feel very gruesome it does almost feel unnecessary and a little bit forced yeah, I see that. The eyeball thing was quite puzzling to me. The only thing I could think of is they were trying to connect it to the original because one of the most iconic shots in the original film is the eyeball peeking through the, the, the crack in the door. I don't know. So may yeah, but you get a lot of that throughout this you film. Do. You see right. eyeballs peeking through all kinds of holes and nooks and everything. The eyeballs being removed, I mean, that like 
that's taken in. That was my only, I mean, that was the only thing I could think of is that they were thinking, oh, eyeball, eyeball. Okay. Let's have the killer rip eyeballs out. I don't know. Like you imagine the board meeting where they're sitting there, like they're basically like throwing out to the panel, like, okay, what do we need in this movie? What are things we need in a black Christmas remake? And they're like, Christmas. Okay. And they're like, Billy. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, Agnes. Sure. Eyeballs. (laughs) <laughs> yeah like I mean, the most basic you're around you're really like boiling the original black christmas down to the most basic like elements and that just you're just like exaggerating them times a thousand but yeah i mean it does feel grotesque every time i see an eyeball like i'm like Ugh, and you see a shit ton of eyeballs in this movie everyone's oh, yeah. eyeballs so back at the sanitarium the santa claus that we saw earlier is is flirting with the nurse and she's like oh santa come ride me He's like, oh, maybe later. And as she walks away, he is killed somehow. All we see is like blood splatter on the wall. And then we see a figure like carrying in his Santa Claus suit, carrying his body out and thrown in a dumpster. I wasn't sure how he got killed, but he got killed. Okay. This isn't the most well thought out sequence because A, all it is is like a pool of blood splattering the ground. Like it looks almost as though he had to have been chopped in half, but you don't see it. Um, But then like, Billy, like, puts on the the Santa costume and escapes, and he passes people. And I'm sorry, but if I were passing the Santa costume, I would be like, wow, there's quite a lot of blood on that man's, like, white fur lining. Like, there's no way that he got that costume cleaned. So, um, I don't understand how he managed to get out of there. Well, not not only that, his his fluorescent yellow skin would be a pretty good indication that it's not, you know, the, the, the Santa that it's supposed to be. Yeah, this escape is really, like, we're really having to, like, swallow the pill and go with it. Because it is not feasible that this man could have gotten out of this insane asylum. But somehow, some way, he does. Uh, I do want to acknowledge with this kill. Because this is a kill that is very much a cutaway. And in most cases, I would be like, oh, I feel deprived. What a ripoff. But one thing I got to praise this movie for is the insanely high kill count like so many people die in this movie major characters die constantly people are always dying so the few times that they do have someone die off camera it's palatable because a there's oftentimes a good lead up to it like the santa there's this whole pursuit you know he's gonna die and then he's chasing this nurse around and finally you have this you know surprise but um the I don't really even care because I know, having seen this movie so many times, I know for a fact they fucking deliver on about 90% of the murders you see in this movie. A few throwaway kills, I'm fine with it. I I get it. Yeah, the the film has a high body count for sure. Uh, We cut back to the sorority house. Miss Mac is still looking for Billy's present. And this is when Heather pretty much says... That she was the one that picked Billy's name, but she's not too thrilled about having to buy a gift for a serial killer. She's quite offended by it. Um, Lauren's downstairs now drinking, and she talks about how can you be offended by something like that when the holiday itself is is pretty offensive. And she launches into her whole thing about it being basically a ripoff of pagan pagan holidays and pagan symbolism. She's right. <laughs> Yeah, she is right. I mean, the, yeah, the Christmas we know is not, you know, celebrating what we think it is. Lauren makes the comment about like, how is this any better than or any worse than what Billy did? And then we get our first flashback. It cuts to the house back in the early 70s. 
we hear that Billy was, because Miss Mac is telling the story, Billy was born with a rare blood disease that made his, uh, liver disease that made his skin yellow. His mother hated him because of it. And she hated her husband. And little poor baby little Billy is in his little bassinet. And the mother goes over and takes a baby's first Christmas Christmas ornament off the tree, a glass ornament, and like crushes it over him. So all the glass falls on this poor little baby. I'm like, you were a fucking bitch. Billy's story, starting with this flashback and carrying on through the whole movie, it, it, it honestly, it takes what was merely implied very loosely over the course of the original film via the harassing phone calls. And it constructs a very elaborate story with it. And at times it is overly elaborate. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. It's overly elaborate. <laughs> But you can't say, again, you can't say they didn't do their homework because there are so many elements of the story that are faithful to the source material, weaving in little things that were said over the phone calls, little aspects of the original movie. Um, so I really appreciate it for that. But the flashbacks, are, are they are so extreme. <laughs> but I love them. But good Lord. I mean, first of all, let's talk about Billy's mother because she deserves every every award I can give this woman. I mean, give her all of the awards. She's crushing Christmas bulbs over babies and yelling in a, a gravelly horse masculine voice, talking about Russian shooting down Santa. I mean, this dame is rough. One of the roughest broads I've seen on camera to date. I mean, at, at one point I almost thought she was played by a man, but no, that's another person in this movie. Um, but this, this actress just takes this part and runs with it. And she's just so gruff and drunk and miserable the flashbacks are very much like a flight of fancy but they add quite a lot of entertainment value to the movie yeah she does tell him as he when he's older she tells him santa's dead that, that his, his 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 sleigh was shot down by the russians his dad's like oh don't listen to her go upstairs and find your present so he goes upstairs to his closet and does find a present that's wrapped in newspaper and takes it out and in the meantime, he hears uh, his parents fighting and the father screaming at the mother, the mother screaming at the father. So he like sneaks down the hallway and like looks through the crack, uh, like from the banister and sees basically the mother's boyfriend that she's having an affair with has showed up. And he like takes a, paper, a plastic bag, puts it over the dad's head and kills him. Bashes him in the head as Billy's watching. So now we kind of get a rationale for the fascination with plastic bags, right? Yeah, we get a rationale for a lot of things, honestly. I think one thing I got to say is these flashbacks set up so much groundwork for how these killers operate. And honestly, how the rest of the film goes down. I mean, yeah, the usage of the bags to suffocate people. Um, how the villains manage to navigate the house, oftentimes without being seen. There's a lot of areas within the house where there's like areas of the walls that are separated that Billy can climb through. And you see, like they, they show you this in these flashbacks. They make it very clear that this is how the house is structured. Um, and also just like uh, eventually alluding to the presence of Agnes, who in the original movie was just mentioned over the phone once or twice. Um, th these flashbacks are very much used as a tool to uh, educate and explain a lot to the viewers. Yeah. So he watches as his mother and her boyfriend 
kill his dad and then take him underneath the house and bury him in the crawl space underneath the house. And she actually, the parent, they catch him watching. So they chase him uh, up to the attic and this is when they padlock him in the attic. So we get that whole story and the whole kind of rationale for why Billy is the way he is at this point. Uh, Back at the sorority, they do get their first obscene phone call. It's coming from Lauren's or it's coming from Megan's phone, which I do like that little twist where the killer is calling from the cell phone of the person that he's killed um, instead of it being, I mean, they had to do something to update it because you know, the originally was calling from the, a different line up upstairs, but in this one, he's using the cell phone of the, uh, of the victim that he just killed. So it's coming from, from uh, Megan's phone and it's the, it's an obscene phone call. It's, they're not as vulgar or obscene as the phone calls in the original film, but I mean, it's something, right? Well, yeah, and I mean, this movie is very, very fast-paced. So I appreciate there's two prominent obscene phone calls. And when these phone calls hit, it feels like the timing slows down for a moment. It finally takes a moment to breathe um, and really let you kind of listen to what's being said. And I do appreciate that they respected that aspect of the original movie, that they kept the phone call moment in there because it's such a prominent defining aspect of what made the original movie so creepy. And you're right, like in the in you know in the two thousands at this point with technology, a prank phone call, an obscene phone call, it's a lot more difficult executing that these days. But um they still manage to keep the creep factor. And if anything, I do feel the fact that it's coming from their friends' phones really adds to the mystery aspect of the film. These characters are really kind of thrown off and confused by what's going on and how the story is evolving. Um, and it does really play well into the storyline. It feels very natural. Yeah, there is a line where Lauren um, says something about, oh, shouldn't you be delivering toys to all the good boys and girls? And Heather gets upset with her and says, you know what? You surely shouldn't provoke someone like that. Call back to the original film. Remember between Claire and the Barb character, uh, Heather tells her basically to, to shut up and go back home with her NASCAR daddy. So Heather says she's going home. She storms out as she's leaving this weird girl with Coke bottle glasses named Eve shows up. Eve is an icon. Iconic. <laughs> is she a sorority sister? She is, but she's like the frumpy sorority sister that nobody talks to. <sighs> How did she get in the sorority? Well, I guess, I guess Miss Mac. Miss Mac, her she says she's like her mother. <laughs> her mother was a legacy. Like remember she, she really like harshly reprimands them at one point. <laughs> so they only let her in the sorority because her mother. Because this is the most awkward looking girl ever. She has no, I mean, definitely sticks out like a sore thumb with the rest of the cast. But she gives, and she only gives um, the Heather character a present. Uh, and it's a, it's wrapped in newspaper. And she's, when Heather opens it, it's a glass unicorn. Oh, what a hat tip to the original movie. Yeah, and she gives it to her and she's like, I thought you'd like it because I know you like the Bible and stuff. <laughs> Like, is there, are there unicorns in the Bible? Did I miss that whole section? Oh, one thing I, one thing I find interesting about Eve, and I wonder if this was intentional, 
But this actress, I feel like in a way, they almost kind of made her up to look very Agnes-like. And I think that was that was intentional. I wish this character would have been explored a little more. I think what happens with her character is quite an, uh, a fun plot twist. But God, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more with her. But yeah, um, very much a red herring. This is all we really get with this character. She's very uncomfortable. Um, and, and yeah, there are no unicorns in the Bible. I grew up Catholic, I can assure you. Yeah, I was wondering. Uh, we get the, we kind of get uh, another cutback scene. It cuts back to 1982, and the mother, the the haggard mother, is like trying to screw her boyfriend on the stairs, just broad, broad, op, right in op, right in front of everybody, just right on the staircase, and he is falling asleep. Uh, and she's like, "God damn it!" Every time. So the horny bitch obviously n- needs dick. She can't use her fingers or a vibrator like a normal person. So what does she need it that bad? <laughs> but what she, let's just put it out there. What she ends up doing is going up to the attic and, and fucking her son, Billy. Listen, listen, Troy, Mrs. Lund riding her lover was the last thing that I wanted to see until I witnessed her dropping her robe and mounting her own child <laughs> on a rocking chair. With that festive score, Ugh. I mean the the, the the score is swelling with Yuletide cheer. But let me tell you, this is a plot twist I a did not anticipate. B don't think I necessarily wanted. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> At this point in the game, with where the film goes, like why the fuck not? Okay, we're throwing incest into the story. Might as fucking well. <laughs> well, she fucks Billy, and then nine months later, Agnes is born. Now, what I don't get here, Troy, is she fucking hates Billy. But Billy, being A, her child, and B, the father of her newborn, um, she seems to be sure okay with Agnes. I don't get it. Agnes is the spawn of Billy. Why is she so fond of Agnes and so hateful towards Billy? I think it's because she is trying to pass Agnes off as being her boyfriend's child. She can't very much tell her living boyfriend that this child is her son's child because she's been having sex with her son. So she has to, you know, at least embrace Agnes to keep that charade going. Um, I don't know. That's my best guess. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I think like it said earlier in the film that she fucking hated her husband and thus hated Billy um, because of, I'm assuming with the husband, you know, produced with her offspring being that bright electric yellow. I think she blamed the husband for it. Um, So when it comes to Agnes, I think it's for her like a fresh start. Uh, This is, you know, she even says, she's like, you're my family now. God, she says it again. She says, you're my family now. And she like looks up ominously towards, you know, the ceiling where Billy's lair is. But then, it, but after you see little baby Agnes, it cuts right back to Eve's face. So there is that sort of insinuation the film's trying to make that Eve could be Agnes. Yeah, I agree. Eve starts to leave. Miss Mac is trying to find her gift, but as she finds it, Eve's gone. Um, they they start to exchange their gifts. Uh, Lauren's getting drunker and drunker. She even takes a shot of tequila. They get another call. And in this, it's another prank phone call for Megan's phone. And the 
person starts to repeat some of the stuff other characters have said so far, which again is another thing that the killer, the calls in the original film did is the killer who was, when he called the, the girls in the original film would repeat things they said. And in this particular call, that's what happens because he ends the call with, I'll bury the hatchet in your head, which is what uh, the Dana character said earlier in the film, which I think is a really cool touch. I agree. This is the moment where we get the line from um, Lauren, where they're talking about the um, music box playing the March of the Sugar Plum Fairies. And she says, fuck no, I'm starting to see the Sugar Plum Fairies. I don't need to hear the little fuckers, too. So (laughs) I'm loving Lauren's one-liners. I'm loving a lot of the one-liners. I'm going to be real. Um, But yeah, this is is the point where things kind of kick up into high gear. Because the girls in the house now officially know... That that initial phone call wasn't a one-time thing. They're being targeted, and there's a reason to be scared. Yeah, Kelly goes up to Megan's room to see if she can find out what's going on, and just Kyle happens to be in this room. So again, setting up a red herring. Kyle says he climbed in, tried to climb in her window, but it was locked, so he had to use Megan's window. Kyle, right away, when he's like around the other sorority sisters, he's kind of a dick. Like, he's like, y'all are a bunch of spoiled bitches. You know, and he's just like an asshole. And he's like, I have to, you guys get to come and go, and I have to live here. And I've had to live by, walk by this house as a kid, and blah, blah, blah. And this used to scare the shit out of me. So Miss Mac is like, what did happen with Billy? Even though you would think she knows because she buys the little fucker a present every year. So how, how does she not know what happened to Billy when she is the one that was narrating the first part of the flashback but now she's acting like she has no idea what actually happened because she's asking kyle right yeah but i i also like how this like you get elements of the billy lure from so so many different people over the course of this film it's like it's it jumps from person to person to person and it kind of like unfolds and unveils more information and when it comes down to kyle being the narrator for this chunk of the story He's someone, he says, he grew up in this town. He's known way more about this town than any of these girls. He says, you come and go, you're here for four years and you're gone. I grew up here. I know what happens here. And so I think what they're saying basically is he's giving a a piece of the story that is beyond just the urban legends and the fantastical lore. This is what, what really happened. This house is a house with like a lot of dark history behind it. So in a way I appreciate like the fact that they took the time to have different characters add different elements to the story because it's coming from different sources, you know? Yeah. So we get the flashback to 1984 where Billy is up, up in the attic playing with his telescope downstairs. We have Agnes who is now what looks to be like seven or eight years old, a rough seven or eight. I was going to say, I have my note says (laughs) homely Agnes <laughs> this it's poor, true. this poor girl. <laughs> I don't know if they. I'm sorry if the actress really looked like this. I feel really bad, but I don't know. They, they had to have done something to make her look a little bit more. Um, I'm well, thinking I mean, they put something a, on her to give she, her the John. Yeah, she's a product of incest, so of course she's not going to look. But she's down there. Um, she she opens a present. She gets a doll, and this is when the mother's like makes that comment about oh you you want a christmas cookie you're my christmas cookie and i could just gobble you all up and she goes to the kitchen to get the cookies and she gets a phone call 
And it's Billy calling her from the phone. So there must be two lines in this phone, even though the, even though these people look dirt poor, um, they have they can afford two phone lines. But he's like, she's my family now. And he hang, she the mother like throws the phone down and runs out to the living room to find him. And he is like stabbing, has Agnes on the ground with a plastic bag over her head and is like stabbing her and like ripping her eye out and eats it. Uh, yeah, th- th- this whole sequence takes things to a whole other fucking level. There's a really cool moment where Agnes looks over through the Christmas tree and it pans through the tree and you see Billy watching her on the other side. Basically, you know, implying he managed to get out of his upstairs lair. Um, But, like, once the action kicks up with him, this 34th chapter of Billy's backstory, (laughs) um, I mean, you've got all kinds of shit happening. You've got ornaments going through people's heads. You've got eyes getting gouged out. The parents are both murdered in a violent fashion. But the mother... Her conclusion, and rightfully so, is uh, grotesque. I mean, like, I don't know if we needed to go here with this movie. Kudos to them for doing it, nonetheless. He Basically, he chokes his mother out with Christmas lights. So again, props to using the fucking Christmas decor for murder weapons. Um, And then he drags her body into the kitchen, and he proceeds to use holiday cookie cutters to dig into her meaty back and it makes flesh cookies out of her back meat and proceeds to bake them and eat them <laughs> and eat them. Well, he beats her to death with a rolling pin first. And then, yeah, he takes the cookie cutters and cuts out chunks of her flesh in the shape of uh, gingerbread men <laughs> and Santa Claus angels cooks them and <laughs> angels and then eats them as the police shows up. He is eating, the, and there's a close-up shot of his him eating these flesh cookies, which is disgusting. Dipping them in milk, like they're yeah. so luscious. <laughs> and then we hear we hear that Agnes was actually saved and sent away, but nobody knows where she has been since. Um, and then they they all hear a noise downstairs, so they go down to investigate, and it's Claire's sister Lee has showed up because Claire hasn't responded to her New Year phone calls and hasn't met her like they planned. If there's one character I love in this film, it's fucking Christian Cloak. Yeah, I do too. As Lee. With those, with those bloated lips, you know they're brimming with collagen. I love her. I can't get enough of her. She's such a cunt, but like an entitled cunt. So like I respect her. And um and just like Lacey Chabay fucking says, I love that fucking coat. She looks great. I mean, this woman is holding up. God, she looks good. And she is just like a force. She comes into this movie and it like it amps it up a whole other ten notches for me. Like I already loved the route it was taking, but now you've got this like middle aged woman on a mission looking for a sibling, and I, I love her. I can't get enough of her. I think she's the best character in the film. I want to say one little thing. While all this arguing is happening, Kyle keeps trying to, like, prevent Kelly from going over to Megan's computer. And you keep getting this cut over to, like, Megan's computer screen. And the screensaver is an eyeball flying across the screen. And I was like, that was well played, filmmakers. Like, good job. Because, like, the eyeballs are so prominent in this movie. Why not have a fucking other one? But, yeah. 
Yeah, well, I love yeah, I love the Lee character too, and it's an interesting like twist on in the original film. It was Claire's father who showed up looking for her. So I like the twist that they give us this female, her sis, her older sister, who we find out they really don't have that great of a relationship. This was supposed to be like the year that they spent time together and bonded because um, Claire is 12 years younger. So they never really grew up together, uh, which is why she's concerned, because this is something that's been planned now for for years, this, this whole Christmas meetup. And she knows that Claire would not ditch out on it. And we also then find out that Lee was part of the sorority. She's actually a um, a legacy, but Miss Mac doesn't remember her. And she's like, well, I came and went as quickly as I pledged. I hated this place. Um, I got to say, so Lee's, ups- Lee's backstory is one of the most um, intriguing elements of the film. And I really... I mean, she becomes a pretty prominent character, but I would have loved to have seen her explored even further. Um, She's very well played. And some of the few genuinely human emotional moments are on her behalf. Um, I think she adds some of the the humanity to the film. That Otherwise, this movie is very exaggerated. It's pretty over the top. But um, her, at times, overbearing determination to find her sister very endearing um i really want her to succeed even though we all as viewers already know that this girl is dead <laughs> back upstairs kelly is trying to call megan's phone but gets a voicemail leaves her a message and there's this kind of interesting shot of her and kyle sitting on the edge of the bed where someone uh, there's a poster above them that someone in the wall is pushing the pin push pin out of the wall and then you see like a, an eyeball like staring at them back downstairs uh, Lee is trying to prove to the group that she's Claire's sister because Miss Mac, for some reason, isn't necessarily buying it. She's looked at her driver's license. She's like, you guys have different last names. And Lee's like, yeah, my divorce is final here in two weeks. And then there is a, and then she does notice. She's like, oh, I see Billy gets still gets a gift. But then she's like, oh, this must be new. Now I see a gift under the tree that's from Billy to the sorority, which is like, oh my God, that wasn't there before. So they kind of freak out. It's a box that's wrapped in newspaper, very similar to, you know, the 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 present that uh, Eve wrapped in newspaper, and then the original present in the flashback that Billy got was wrapped in newspaper. So they unwrap it, and it's this creepy doll. It's the it's a doll that we it's have the seen doll that before. Agnes got for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and it's in the box of a telescope. Um, that was received earlier in the film as a, as a gift from Billy's parents to him, which I did find strange at one point that he had that telescope with a bow on it. Is that to say that his mother got him this telescope? I don't know. I thought the father did. He Well, he got him a telescope, but is it... Was it the exact same telescope? He just put the bow on it? Because there's the one scene where he's like looking out through it, you know, and like one of the more one of the layers of the story he's looking through the telescope and it looks as though he's been given a gift i'm very confused i don't know i mean like i was like why would the mother even get him a gift to begin with so maybe he just keeps that bow every christmas he attaches it as though he's receiving a new telescope either way um it is in the box of the telescope that he received it's the baby doll that was given to agnes and it is missing its eyeballs it is missing its eyeballs Uh, at this point Lauren throws up. 
projectile vomit everywhere. Projectile vomits everywhere. So Lee, or they they take her upstairs. Laura, uh, what Melissa takes her upstairs to to help her, and they we do get a scene with Lee exploring Claire's room where she then talks about the whole family dynamic of them growing up 12 years apart. It does give the character again, like you said, a a little bit more backstory than we've had so far with any of the characters. So I think it's interesting that they give it to the one that's like the oldest of the bunch. That's not even part of the, the sorority. That's the focus of the film back in the room with Kelly and Kyle, the power of the entire house goes out and it causes Megan's laptop to go into a power save mode where it's running on battery now. So the screen comes back on and this is when she sees the video of Kyle and Megan having sex. And of course she's pissed. He says it was before she even came to the house and that a coworker of him got pissed and put all of his tapes, not just this one piece. He apparently he has all kinds of tapes, um, put them on the web. Yeah. Tell me the links, <laughs> right? I, was I will watch those tapes. I mean, we all got a couple tapes out there. No judgment, but God, I want to see these tapes. Um, I th- I thought the simplicity of how this unfolded when the power went out and the house kind of goes into like, um, I'm guessing like it has a generator, but because, um, you know, it goes into like this, this basically this dim lighting, just the simplicity of that being the reasoning for why the computer turns off of a screensaver. Very well thought out. Like, the way that the story unfolds, it's almost like dominoes. Everything kind of just rolls into the next moment. A lot of these moments don't feel forced. At least within, I'm saying within the the house. Everything happening with the girls. It very naturally flows for me. I really like how all these little pin story points kind of unfold one after another. I think they did a really good job scripting this moment. Yeah, and at this point, Eve hasn't been found. So Heather is in Eve's room because she did recognize that the box was wrapped in newspaper like Eve's gift. So she's like, I'm going to go up to Eve's room and explore because maybe she sent it. Maybe she's losing it. So she's in Eve's room. She does find um, in the closet a box with newspaper articles about the murder that took place at the house. That's, I mean, again, they're trying to paint Eve as a red herring, I think, at this point, because we don't really know what is what happened to her. She kind of just disappeared. Yeah. And not just the the newspaper articles and the uh, photos. She also found a pair of baby dolls. Yeah. The the eyes from the specific doll that was in the box. Yeah. So as they're going upstairs to take Lauren upstairs to bed, they run into Kelly and Kyle fighting. And this is when Kyle is pretty aggressive. Because Kelly is like, oh, it's not bad enough. You have to have sex, but you have to have, you have to record it to have something to watch to get off. And he gets really aggressive with her. He's like, you shut your fucking mouth and gets in her face. And the girls pull him away and they're, they, she tells him to get out. And on his way out, uh, Dana says something smart to him. And he's like, oh, fuck all you bitches. So Miss Mac actually throws him out, like pushes him down the stairs. Again, maybe painting a red herring for us is could Kyle be, you know the killer oh yeah and i do love that in this moment miss mac she's fucking like manhandling this this guy uh, but her devotion to the girls is pretty steadfast and i love how she's like shoving them down the steps um this is one of the moments where the girls really i feel band together for each other you know i i the moments with kyle very much painting him to be an asshole um the girls have each other's backs it's one of those little elements of of who they are that makes you like them all the more 
and not want to see them die. Well, it doesn't last long. Their camaraderie does not last long uh, because there's a scene coming up where it kind of falls apart. Lauren's thrown up in the bathroom as Melissa helps her to get her ready for a shower because obviously Melissa's like, you stink. She's been puking on herself all night. There's a lot of cuts like this, this cut back and forth. So then we, after Lauren's in the bathroom, we cut back to Dana is in Lee's room with Kelly and Lee goes out the window to notice that their house is the only one on the street with no power. She's like, how fucking weird is that? That we're the only house on the street with no power. Yeah, Lee is very much the voice of reason at this point. Well, yeah, because Dana is like, well, I know the main breaker is under the house. And, and Dana is like, yeah, I'm not the helpless bitch that these bitches think I am. So Lee's like tells her literally, well, she's like, go back outside and turn it on then. And she's like, I'm not going outside. It's cold. And Lee's like, you get your ass outside. It's only going to take you a couple seconds. I'll keep looking for Claire. So Dana heads outside. Lauren's getting ready for a shower. And as she's getting ready for a shower, she knocks a tile piece loose on the floor. She picks it up, throws it in the sink. Melissa's like, I'm going to go put a trash can by your bed just in case. So as Lauren is in the shower, we do get the infamous eyeball through the, well, this time it's the floor crack staring at her as she's showering did you notice the first time that a tile came loose when you see the eye looking through the floor it is like a an extremely digital shot of the eyeball like looking through the floor yeah it's it's not the finest moment in this film but overall i do like how they play this out and i also like that like we get a little bit of ass here but this is all you in the sense of nudity on the behalf of the women it's all you get and this film is surprisingly low on the TNA, and it's a decision I actually admire because I feel that these women, they try to make them fleshed out enough that they don't depend on the sex and nudity to sell these characters. They don't need to be exploited as much. Um, and this is really it. That's it. Like, you have this brief shower moment, you see a little bit of ass, and, like, it's done. But I do appreciate that they did use this moment for that classic eyeball sequence because it is very much in lieu of the of the of the classic sequence of him looking through the knot hole. So after her shower, Melissa puts Lauren to bed. We cut back out to outside where Dana's outside. She's gonna go outside to turn the breaker on. She's smoking a cigarette. Uh, some water drips on it and puts it out. So she's like, "Fuck!" And she has to drop it. She drops it through like this hole on the sidewalk, and as she drops it down there, you hear like scuttling underneath her and so she's like looking through the hole but doesn't see anything so she goes around to the back of the house um pulls up this like elaborate gate to get under this house to find the breaker and as she enters under the house she's like on hand and you know hands and knees crawling under this house she's like oh you eve you you dumbass i can see your breath like why would she think it was eve under this does eve hang out under the house apparently i mean did you see Eve earlier? Because I wouldn't be shocked if that broad was hanging out under houses or or bridges like a troll. <laughs> but um, and then at this moment, I, I do love that Dana is immediately grabbed and dragged violently under the house. You see a great aerial shot of her legs getting pulled under the house. Um, and this launches into what it ends up being Dana's death sequence. And I have to say, Troy... Um, a decision I don't love that they killed this character off at this point. One of my favorite characters had a lot of personality, a lot more room to be explored. 
um, I was really surprised that they chose to kill off Lacey Chabay. They did pretty quickly too. She 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 puts up a little bit of a fight, and there's like this old rusty garden trowel that's laying under the house that she does hit the killer in the arm with, but then the killer immediately grabs it and embeds it in the back of her head, killing her. Something to be said about the sequence. It's very obvious at this point. This is the first time I would say that um, it's pretty clear that it is not Billy that kills Dana. It's rather obvious. Um, And that's something that becomes a major plot point coming up. But uh, yeah, this is um, definitely a twist on the original film, which very much only had one killer. Uh, The idea that there is now a second killer. And uh, if you've been following the story, if you're watching the movie, it's pretty easy to piece together who it's going to be. I do want to acknowledge one moment really quick. As, As Lee is wandering through the house, she does have a moment where she opens a door and she has a rather large reaction to what ends up being a very off-putting like mount like like <laughs> uh piece of decor it's, it's santa's face a big red bust of santa's face and she like she you know she jumps and she screams and then she says fuck you santa claus <laughs> i like that moment. <laughs> yeah so as they're sitting in the living room they get a kelly gets a call from dana's cell phone and she answers it and you hear Dana screaming and then you hear the killer say, she's my family now. And so they all like freak out. They go, they go outside to find Dana and Kelly trips in the snow lands face first as um, Melissa runs up behind her and sees these like claw mark, like fingernail marks down the side of the um the 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 gate like someone was being pulled and trying to hold on heather and lee are outside but they see eve's car and heather's like oh my god she must not have left so they go over the car they knock on it and heather's like what did she sleeping in her car so they open the car door and eve's decapitated head falls out with a thump onto the road i got to say troy we've seen quite a few decapitated heads in our day. And I rank this with one of the very best of them. This looks like a real decapitated head. <laughs> like this is a great piece of makeup effect or of, of prosthetic effect. Uh, Cause it looks just like that girl, only like how I would imagine she would look dead. Um, though it does immediately get rid of what was, you know, proving to be one of the more effective red herrings. So it, it, I was pretty surprised that they chose to just ex-nay that real quick and be like, well, that's no longer an option. Um, because right now is the point where things are really starting to fall apart. Everything's hitting the fan. The girls are realizing that they need to get the fuck out of there. Uh, and and Miss Mac basically starts to kind of lose her shit for a second. They all run back inside. Uh, they're not sure what to do. Kelly's trying to make phone calls. She does get through to the police, but they tell her that due to the inclement weather, they're not going to be there for what, like two hours? Two hours, yep. So basically, these girls are forced to fend for themselves. <laughs> yeah, I would have just ran. I mean, after I found the decapitated head, I would have just ran. I wouldn't even have gone back to the house. My ass would have just taken off. But they go back to the house. Yeah, it's going to be two hours. Uh, so... 
Miss Mac wants to get the fuck out of there. She's like, we're, come on, get your purses. We're, we're leaving. Kelly, on the other hand, doesn't want to leave because not everyone's there. Lauren is still upstairs. Claire is unaccounted for. So she does not want to leave. Miss Mac, though, is insistent that they leave. And Kelly is like, we are sisters. We should stick together. If we all stick together, we just sit here. Sit. We don't let each other out of our sight for two hours. The cops will be here, which I thought was very reasonable. But Miss Mac is like, nope, fuck that. We're out of here. But I got to say, Troy, don't you think Miss Mac is the voice of reason that most people would go with in this scenario? Well, I don't know. It depends because it's just her and Heather that leave. And, you know, you were talking about how Miss Mac is like the, you know, is is very protective of these girls. And it seems like at this point, she's like, fuck y'all, I'm out of here. Because most of them stay. It's only her and Heather that leave. All the other ones stay. Um, Melissa stays. Lauren's there. Even Lee is like, I'm not leaving because if my sister comes back, she's not coming back to an empty house. I mean, I, I get the fight and I get the flight kind of mentality let's get the fuck out of here but when you think about it even kelly is like you're gonna drive to the police station in this weather the it's snowing the roads are covered in snow you know the roads are bad that's why the cops can't get here so how do you think you're gonna get there i i kind of agree with kelly where i thought just all stay sit together on the couch grab weapons and and sit there you know the cops will show up eventually but no that's not what happens and so Miss Mac and, and Heather leave. They go out to Miss Mac's car, get it started. Miss Mac has to, you know, use the ice scraper to be able to scrape the windshield. And and Heather's like, "What's that?" <laughs> I fucking Ms. love Mac's, that line, though. <laughs> yeah, Miss Mac's like, "What, really?" So she goes outside the car and she's like making these comments under her breath, like, "Oh, this up, this spoiled Southern bitch." And I'm like, "This is kind of out of character, all of a sudden." Um, but you know, whatever. And as she's scraping the ice scraper, she makes a, a kind of a, a hole into the windshield that you can see through. And all of a sudden this eyeball pops through the, you know, the opening of the, the ice scraper opening that she made on the windshield. So we see an eyeball inside the vehicle and then just an explosion of blood. <laughs> uh, you know, if there's one kill in this movie that really, left me kind of let let down. I mean, I mean, like I said, there's a huge head uh, kill count in this, so I can't really bitch that much. But for the character of Heather, who was really kind of like one of the focal girls, one of the, if you ever was going to say, like, who are the leads? I would definitely have described Heather as one of the main leads. After seeing what they've done with some of these other characters, I expected something bigger for this death scene. Um, it really is just a splatter of blood on glass. However, it does cause Miss Mac to back up in shock and, <laughs> in a, an ironic twist, hit the hit the house hard enough that an icicle is like dislodged and stabs right through her skull. So this kill isn't even on Billy, or you know, it, it, it's not the killer's fault. This is completely just a twist of irony. That just happened to happen at the wrong time. Yeah, which I, I didn't like. I didn't like that. Cop out, in my opinion. I mean, Miss Mac, the house mother, gets killed, and it's not even by the killer. It's by an icicle that falls off the house. Come on. Uh, I don't know. But I do like that where her body 
like her body falls strategically like blocking the gate and it actually kind of plays like a major factor in how the story evolves because they keep watching for them to leave through the window they see the car is like turned on that the the headlights are on they can only see the rear of the vehicle so they haven't seen anything of what's happened or any of the kills um but they notice the vehicle's not leaving so lee and um kelly at one point try to go down to like open the garage gate and because of the fact that miss mac's body has fallen there they can't get the gate to open because she's blocking it so everything does kind of like play out like it does it does i just wish that miss mac would have had a little bit more respectable death you know um, yeah, I and that. we would have even known what the fuck happened with Heather. I mean, what what, what are we assuming she got? I guess er- erupted. Yeah, it's just it's a splatter <laughs> of blood shoots all over the windshield. So Lee goes downstairs to check on them since the car isn't leaving, and as she's walking through the hallway, she slips in a big old puddle of blood that's that's leaking through, and Melissa at this point runs to the banister because she hears Lee scream. And as she's hanging over the banister, her boobs aren't hanging over the banister. She's hanging over the banister. Agnes comes behind her with a paper bag or plastic bag and puts it over her head and tries to pull her back. And she actually kicks, kicks and fights and gets away, runs to her room. Instead of running down the stairs out the door, she runs to her room, second story room. We have to put that in, out there too to try to open the window and i'm like what are you going to do jump out you could have ran down the stairs you were right out in the hallway and agnes comes in and melissa does have the common decency to grab a weapon which is a hockey stick and start beating the shit out of agnes with it but she doesn't like knock her out or anything she hits her with the hockey stick a a couple times turns around turns her back on this person that's not knocked out to try to open the window again. And in the meantime, Agnes spots a pair of uh, ice skates and grabs them, hurls them at the back of Melissa's head and splits her skull open. Oh, it's pretty nasty. You see, you see brain matter for sure. It is. I just didn't like this whole sequence because it was just dumb to me. Like this character is super dumb. First of all, you had the opportunity to run down the stairs. You run into your second story bedroom Second of all, you don't you beat the killer with the hockey stick, but you don't knock them out or anything. You see that they're still standing up completely conscious and you turn your back again to try to open a window like. Ugh. Yeah, well, and also there's something to be said for the fact that this is the character that I really would have anticipated having the most fight in them more fight to him yeah and while she does fight back i mean she beats the killer with her hockey stick and she has a moment where she tries to defend herself it's short-lived um there is footage in one of the trailers released of michelle uh michelle um yeah no michelle trachtenberg um strutting around with a shotgun and i don't know if that's footage perhaps that was shot for the trailers is this footage that was from an, an, an earlier scene in the movie wouldn't really make sense there's no guns in the house but god i would have loved to have seen melissa get her hands on a fucking shotgun if anyone in this movie needs to be using a shotgun it's her or and lee her and lee with shotguns all day long i'm all for it well there's 
Yeah, there's also a shot in the original trailer of the Lacey Charbet character being pulled into a like a grinder of some sort with Christmas lights. That's actually lights. that's a different. That is an actress that was brought in. All that with that, yeah. Oh, it looked yeah, like Lacey no, Charbet. Yeah, no, it's an actress yeah. that was uh, from. Um, God, she had had like a bit part in some other kind of horror based project maybe it was like teen wolf or something i don't remember but she had done something else before that um she came in she did like the there's a footage of a girl underneath a frozen river there's a shot of a girl falling off a roof and there's footage of a girl kind of going up against this weird like christmas light machine and they're all the same girl it's all the same girl that was brought in for this this trailer gig well see i want to i want to see that movie we do say we have to point out, and there's an alternative cut of this film, and the Heather death scene is different. In the alternative cut, she does not get um, killed with an ice skate. The killer actually sticks fingers in both of her eyeballs and like drags her down the hallway with his with his fingers embedded in her eyes. It's actually really gross. Yeah, I think I own. Is that the one that's on the DVD? I own that version. Uh, or I own at least with that scene. Um, and that really makes sense, all things considered, with what happens with the reveal at the end of the movie. Because when you think of what happens to the top of her head, um, I, <laughs> I'm i shocked that her skull is intact when you see her at later point. Yeah. So we do get Lauren now sleeping. Someone gets in bed with her, Billy, and is like fondling her. Like there's, there's shots of his hand going up the sheets and it's very erotic and it's very uncomfortable because she's passed out, but she does wake up and realize someone is in the bed with her and is like inappropriately touching her. And she sees the glass unicorn on her nightstand. So she grabs it and stabs the side of the bed, flips over and stabs the side of the bed, but nobody's there. Uh, But suddenly Agnes leaps up, jumps on top of her, takes the unicorn and and stabs her with it. Quick, it's quick death, quick. Yeah. You don't really see anything, it's just quick. Yeah. Poor Lauren. I mean, she slept through all of this shit. She's fucking passed out up there only to wake up being fingered by a serial killer. I and, and at least she thinks to, you know, try to defend herself. I was really hoping that the usage of that goddamn unicorn would have been more prominent. All things considered, Margot Kidder's iconic death sequence in the original. Um this definitely did not do homage properly to that specific kill. Um, I would say Lauren probably has one of the more lackluster kills in the whole movie. Yeah, it's it's rushed. It's rushed. Um, they they Lori Lee and Kelly are downstairs. They see a shadow approaching the house, so they run upstairs to uh, Lauren's room. And Kelly is trying to call Melissa, but they only hear the phone ringing from above them. So that she hears the phone ringing from the attic. And all of a sudden, Kyle bursts in at the same time. Lee bumps into Lauren's body on the bed and we see that her eyeballs have been basically gouged out. And that's when uh, Billy calls Kelly and is like, She's my family now again for the 50th time. I'm like, how does Billy know like specifically who to call? Well, I also, one thing that really confuses me and it's always confused me is the usage of the phones here is great. I love that they keep calling on different characters phones. That's how you kind of find out someone's dead. They call it on their phone, but there's this whole little trope of them calling back 
um, and they look up to the ceiling, and you see like the light of the cell phone go yeah, off. Yeah, I don't. And it's like, is it through a hole in the ceiling? Like, what are they looking at? Because I, how would you? Yeah, yeah. I how would you see that. it? Like, is there like, is there like loose floorboards? It's just a very. It's not very clear. Um, I get what they're hinting at, but it's not explained very well. At this point, basically, Kyle's like, "We gotta get the fuck out of here." And goddamn Lee, like, I love her, but she's like, I'm saving my sister. Uh, and, like, we all know that Claire is dead. So it's like, it feels like it's for nothing, but I admire the determination. So, of course, Claire, uh, I'm sorry, um, Lee and Kelly are teaming up and they're going to go upstairs and they somehow convince Kyle to join them. Uh, Kyle's a dick, but man, like, at this point, I'd be like, you know what? I have good reason to think my sister Claire is dead, considering that everybody else is dead. I think it would just do us more favor to leave this house, get some police, and come back with like a full, you know, a full SWAT team. I kept thinking, bitch, you don't even know this girl. You've you've made it perfectly clear you guys don't even know each other. Why are you so why are you so hell bent on staying in this house to uh, because she keeps saying until I see her dead, I'm going to assume she's alive. Uh you've just found like four dead bodies, right? Why at that point I'd be like, you know what? Meh, we we never met anyway, so I think I'm gonna get the hell out of here. But no, she is like, nope, we're going upstairs, we're going up the attic. If she's you know, and Kyle's like, at least tell me that if we find if we find the find them dead, that we are getting the fuck out of this house. And they're like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he pulls out a knife, which is ends up being pointless. Climbs up the uh, attic ladder and opens the ladder, opens the attic door and shining the light in. And all of a sudden, fucking he's pulled into the attic, has a bag pulled over his head and it's pulled into the attic. I love it. These, <laughs> these bitches, but these bitches get him killed. He, they, I know, I know. Cause the poor guy, like he's, he's bagged over the head by Agnes, who at this point is very clearly played by a man. Like let's, let's point out the elephant in the room agnes looks like a linebacker she's hulking and she's obviously a man but okay i'll go with it but so poor kyle bag over the head struggling to fight back he's trying to crawl around with this bag over his head agnes just waddles up next to him and clamps her thighs down on either side of his neck and just stabs an ornament right through his eye like this guy goes out so unceremoniously killed by this freakish mutant woman who is the, the <laughs> product of incest and she literally like she's like six foot four with shoulders like fucking mountains <laughs> it doesn't look like i mean i know the little girl was homely at the beginning but she grew up to look like this good grief so the lee and and, and kelly climb up in the attic and they actually see agnes kill kyle and freak out and and this is when Lee backs up and finds Claire's body in the rocking chair. Okay. <laughs> How did she know this was Claire? The, the, the person had a bag over their face. She's, ne she, she's never met Claire. They haven't met each. And she immediately looks up at this thing in the rocking chair with a bag over its face. You can't even see it. And she's like, Claire. I mean, had she never met Claire or had she only not seen her for a very long time? It doesn't matter. This per thing had a bag over its face. I understand. But this, listen, <laughs> say what you want. This finale gives you everything and a bag of chips. I mean, oh, I love the finale. This finale, <laughs> like, I got to say, in the terms of finales that deliver, 
This is at the top of my list. Everything you could imagine happening starts happening. People are eating eyeballs. Uh, 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 you got fucking Kristen Cloak screaming. Well, let's talk about Kristen Cloak's scream. If there's one person I can listen to just scream just on loop, it's Kristen Cloak. She's got a gravelly masculine scream. And she's like, no, 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 no. And she starts falling through the floorboards. She falls through the floorboards. <laughs> Callie is losing her shit. She's fighting this man woman who is who is Agnes. I mean, things are burning. The Agnes reveals her surprisingly elegant Christmas display, which is very oh tasteful, God. all things considered. The Christmas tree is decorated with eyeballs, shocking enough. But that's it. It's very elegant. I mean, like for being the remains of humans, I thought it was a very tasteful. It's not display. only eyeballs, Roger. Uh, Eve's head is the topper. I know, but it's so perfectly placed. And then the bodies of all the other girls that have been murdered are sitting around under the Christmas tree. Oh, and she's like lighting, she's lighting candles, revealing all of them. Yeah, we do get the shot of her ripping out uh, Kyle's eyeballs, both of them, and eating them. And as she bites into them, like juice squirts out. Oh my God, it's so unnecessary. And <laughs> it's fucking, so over the top. It's gross. <laughs> Lee falls through, actually falls through to the floor to the floor below. So she's out of the attic now. And Kelly has to fight this fucking burly ass woman. And well, not just her. She, Billy's there now too. Well, Bill. Well, <laughs> Billy doesn't. Well, actually, Kelly gets Kelly actually stabs Agnes in the neck with like uh, a broken piece of ornament, and then like takes a uh, one of those. Um, barbecue forks yeah and jabs it into agnes's eye and she's unfazed (laughs) yeah she's unfazed but kelly's like they're not your family i'm not your family and your brother's not here and agnes looks at her and she says no but my daddy is and all of a sudden fucking billy's arm busts through the floorboards and he's crawling up from the fucking floor that line that's so that erotic line no but my daddy is oh it's so gross i mean so they start fighting candles are knocked over kelly falls into the crack between the walls they're trying to get to her fucking agnes has already fallen down and uh, so Kelly is, it's, it's, it's so elaborate. Agnes is at the bottom. Kelly has fallen down and the Billy starts descending upon Kelly. So you have Agnes coming up to for, at Kelly from the bottom, Billy coming up from the top, fucking Kelly screaming her head off for, for, uh, Lee to do something. Lee actually comes to gets these weights and starts bashing the wall. In the meantime, everything, a baby carriage is caught on fire. The fucking Christmas tree is caught on fire. <laughs> and it's all like supported by a row of Christmas lights. So you're just like waiting for everything to collapse. Um, and like while Lee's bashing through the wall, Billy like busts through the wall and starts grabbing at her. Like it really is like no holds bars. This whole sequence is fucking crazy. And this whole moment between the walls, which first of all, there is quite a lot of unused space in this house. Imagine the potential for remodel because this house is just hidden rooms. I mean, the gaps between the walls are massive. They could really expand this whole building into something wonderful. But um, the whole moment with Agnes at like the bottom of the floor where she like falls all the way down to the bottom, uh, it's extremely claustrophobic. I have a fear of tight spaces and she's like jammed into the bottom between the walls and she starts like climbing up and it really is like a very claustrophobic moment. It's a very well executed sequence with the two of them 
closing in on Kelly as she's literally just supporting herself between two walls. Yeah, I, I love the scene. It's, it's high energy. It's, you're on the edge of your seat. I mean, it, talk about entertainment value. I mean, this does, I will say this is far more entertaining than anything in the original film, although they're two different films. Like you said at the very beginning, this is a 100% popcorn film. But this also... Does this not also remind you? Rob Zombie had to have watched this because this does this not also remind you of the finale of his Halloween remake when Laurie Strode is in the wall and Michael Myers is bashing through to try to get her? It's very similar. Very similar. Anyway, so what ends up happening is Lee is able to bust through at the right moment to grab uh, Kelly and pull her out. At the same time, fucking um, Billy gets a hold of Kelly, and it's like a tug of war between Kelly or between Lee and Billy trying to get Kelly out of the wall. But what happens is the burnt Christmas tree with the Christmas lights finally gives and falls, falls on top of Billy and catches him on fire. And they Kelly's able to get out, and they they have the right mind to not only like not just run out, but to try to finish the job by pouring paint thinner all over him and, and setting him on fire even more. Yeah. They throw towels down and yeah, everything like yeah. they, these broads aren't getting out of there without getting the job done. I, I think in the sense of women who put up a fight, these two dames do a pretty fine job. And not only that, they've got each other's backs through the whole fucking thing. I really love this finale because these two, uh, they, they keep up. They keep up and they kick ass. And um, my only complaint would be because you can you can tell they wanted to expand on this and, and leave you with an alternate scene after this. Uh, give you the idea that, oh, no, wait, there's more. And because of that, they rush these two girls out of this house so quick like you know it's not the final moment because like they throw down the they throw down the paint thinner they throw down the towels and they book it the fuck out you don't get any dramatic scenes of the house burning you don't have any final moments it doesn't take its time you know like when you think of moments of closure you'd think of like seeing them looking back and watching the house burn down or something nope they're out of there and boom you're at the morgue well it's now we're at the hospital scene the ending tagged on hospital scene where we get a news broadcast, all the news reporters are there. So we hear about the fact that Billy and Agnes have returned and, and killed a bunch of people. And we cut to the, the coroner uh, getting the bodies of, we assume he got the bodies of Agnes and, and Billy. And I'm wondering, okay, so these two aren't really superhuman. They've, they haven't been portrayed as being superhuman, right? So do paramedics or do they actually check to make sure people are dead before they send them to a coroner? I mean, isn't that part of your procedure is you're going to take a pulse. You're going to declare someone actually dead before you actually send them to the coroner. Yeah. And I can see maybe I was saying, I could see maybe one Troy, like, okay, one person. And maybe you got to Like you, maybe, maybe they, maybe they, just somehow, some way, like, misread the pulse. I don't know. Like, it's a stretch, but I'll take it. But two people? Two people? I mean, come on. Someone's not doing their job here. No, they're not, because Billy comes Billy comes to life, or he's he gets up. He's obviously alive. He's been alive the whole time, so this paramedic should be fired that sent him to the corner. And he attacks the, the corner with a circular saw, like a tool that you use to cut bodies open with. 
And then Billy goes and unzip Ag- unzips Agnes, who's in her bag, nice and comfy. She opens her eyes and gets out. Kelly and Lee are, are in her room talking. She's like, well, I don't have a sister now, so I guess I have to open this in front of you. She opens the gift that Claire got her, and it's a watch or a bracelet that says families forever. And the nurse comes in to get Kelly for more x-rays, leaving Lee alone. So when Lee's in, in the room, she hears something in the ceiling. And so she goes out in the hallway to follow the noise because it, it sounds like someone is crawling through the ceiling. And as she's out in the hallway, she actually sees the door to Kelly's room closed. So she thinks it's Kelly. So she goes back into the room and she's like, I thought you were going out for x- x-rays. And we see someone's in the bed, right? So she approaches and it turns around and it's fucking Agnes. Who grabs damn Agnes Lee and breaks her neck. I'm like, oh, no. I hated this oh my moment. God. Why did they kill her off? I'm so mad. And here's here's my gripe with it. Okay. You got these two girls who really like fight tooth and nail to get through this finale. And have earned their place as the two survivors in this film. Then you give Lee this like really lovely closing moment. One of the few very human moments in the movie. And you really allow her to like have this kind of moment of closure with the death of her sister, confiding in Kelly that they got through this together. I feel like it was a cheap move to just toss her away like that. Not only that, but just breaking her neck. Like, go fuck yourself. This is Kristen Cloak. You don't just break her neck. You stab her with knives over and over and over a la Final Destination. You don't just break her neck. Um, I yeah, I think this was not not fair to the character. It did not do her justice. It it did it did seem like a a kill just for the sake of headcount, and it, it left me a bad taste. It did. Yeah, yeah. Talk about. We, I think we've talked about this before, but talk about a, a a character that deserved to live. I would say she is right up there, right up there with with like Linda from Sorority House Massacre, who should have lived instead of that fucking Beth. God damn it, yeah. Beth. <laughs> I know, I keep bringing up Beth. But okay, so now Lee's dead and um, fucking Kelly goes back to her room and the nurse is like, it's a little bit foreshadowing where she's like, oh, this door, they were supposed to fix this. So she shuts the door and Kelly immediately is in bed and she finds the bracelet that has blood all over it. So she gets out of bed and you see, she sees the ceiling. There's like blood that starts to flood into the um ceiling light that looked pretty cool i'll it say did. that i like it that did. yeah so she runs into the to the door to try to get out and she can't get out the door's locked and in the meantime the ceiling panel starts to be, be lifted away and we see someone coming down kelly sees the um what is it? It's a what is that called? Oh, the like the resuscitation like heart the panel. The resuscitation machine yeah. <laughs> with the paddles. So she starts that up and as Agnes attacks her, she like paddles puts the electric paddles on Agnes's head and electrocutes her to death. Very scream four-ish. This whole final scene in this hospital reminds me so much of Scream Dude, Four. Dude, my note exactly. Absolutely. Like if anything, this movie just kind of seems to have influenced other films that came after it. Yeah, I think it did. I really, I mean, it, I definitely influenced Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween, and it had, and Scream 4, this whole, the ending of Scream 4 had to have been winking at this. It's so similar. So she kills Agnes with the, with the paddles, and then all of a sudden fucking Billy comes down, 
Um, so uh, Kelly doesn't fuck around. She busts out the the window with the uh, her with the medicine holder thing, the rack. Gets out, and again, have you noticed? There's like nurses and shit in the hallway that are just walking by, not doing a damn thing. They 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 just saw a girl bust a window out. There's carolers that are like when she pushes the alarm. It's the most subtle alarm ever, by the way. It's like it barely does anything. But there's like a horde of carolers singing Christmas songs. It's like go fuck yourself, hospital. Like what hospital is this? This girl's being murdered. <laughs> yeah, he follows her out in the hallway. She beats him with a crutch, and he actually gets the crutch away from her and trips her. And she knocks. She she falls into like this orderly, knocks all of his fucking tools out and again nobody's helping her nobody's helping her they see this man attacking her he billy picks up a scalpel and like goes after her and literally like as she's exiting starts stabbing her in the back they go against this banister and she's able to flip him push him over the banister and he falls like several stories and lands on top of the christmas tree and is impaled not only is he impaled he fucking like adorns the Christmas tree with his intestine because he goes so far down the tree. It's disgusting. But it honestly is like a lot of this hospital sequence did feel excessive. Um, It felt unnecessary, but getting to see Kelly have a final moment where she once again kicks this fucker's ass, I'll say it makes it worth it to me. Because she she beats his ass like she is by no means a weak final girl and not only did she survive the first epic finale but they come for her again and she says nope not today fuckers she kills both of them she fries one's brains with a goddamn heart panels whatever they're fucking called you know what we're talking about we're not using scientific terms here but then and then she throws the other guy off a balcony several stories down and disembowels him on a Christmas tree and it ends with like a light Christmas music playing over it as it cuts to credits. Quite a strong finale, all things considered. Not everything played out the way I wanted it to but overall it ends with a fucking bang. Yeah, I know. I like that. I like the ending. I like the whole impalement on a Christmas tree. How re- I, don't, I don't know if that would really happen to me. I feel like he would just fall and knock the tree over. No, Troy, but- how, come on. Come on. I, I think we're splitting hairs here. How many things in this movie would have actually fucking happened? Who's bored with electric yellow skin to begin with? Uh, but, you know, but that ends Black Christmas and you get the credits playing over a nice little Christmas tune. And I got to say, yeah, I enjoy this one. The ending is far-fetched. It's, I wish they would have gone a different route uh i would have liked the film to end in the sorority house somehow you know the hospital stuff all just seemed so tacked on much like it does in scream four but at the end of the day the bottom line is i mean all i can say about this film i'm not going to ramble um but all i can say about this film is is it the original no was it trying to be the original no it was trying to do its own thing it is a remake that i appreciate because they they paid extensive homage to the original, but still managed to do something completely different. Uh, and you have to respect that um, uh, because that's that's a difficult thing to do. I think like you know like I, I I hate to keep bringing up like Rob Zombie's Halloween. Rob Zombie tried to do the, do it with Halloween, and and I think it for the most part failed. They tried to do it with the Friday the Thirteenth remake, and I think it for the most part failed. This film, I think, does it pretty well. I I just felt like when you're remaking a film that's held in such high regard, 
you're going to get a lot of pushback. And if you're a black Christmas fan, like I am of the 1974 film, and you happen to think it's one of the best horror films ever made, I just implore you to look at this film from a different perspective. It's not trying to copy the first film. It's trying to tell a story that is rooted in the first film and, and just using a lot of the imagery and a lot of the um, plot devices and a lot of the theme. I wouldn't say themes, but you know, a lot of the the things that the first film did, this one is trying to come in and do, but do it differently. Yeah. Yeah. If I was going to compare the approach of this remake to any other film within recent memory, I'd say it sits most closely to um, another 2006 remake, which would be Alexander Aja's Hills Have Eyes remake, which which um, his stayed a lot closer to the original material. However, he made some really bold choices with bringing that material into the new millennium, uh, really upping the ante when it came to the effects and the gore and and the overall brutality and the violence but making for in in some ways a more entertaining film than the original now i would i would almost say that that retelling of hills have eyes is better than the original in this case with black christmas i i would not i would agree with you troy the original is just a masterpiece piece of cinema and suspense this movie this retelling while it's very entertaining, there certainly is no moment on par with Olivia Hussey at the bottom of a staircase screaming, Phil, answer me! Phil! Like, I mean, it's just, it's in a league of its own, you know? Um, the film, the original film was ahead of its time. Absolutely. The The original film undoubtedly, undeniably has had such a huge influence on the slasher genre, whether filmmakers who were inspired by it want to admit it or not i mean black christmas set so many of the what have now become tropes and cliches they were first seen in black christmas so its influence is heavy heavy over the whole genre this film apparently i mean it did influence rob zombie's halloween but uh I mean, other than that, I mean, it's it's not a film that was, I don't think it was a film that was really trying to do that, though. It wasn't trying to do anything that was groundbreaking or um, anything like that. It, at the end of the day, I, I think I think originally that was the intent, but what we got was what we got, and what we got was a, it's a blast. It's a blast. Put it in. It's brainless fun. It's brainless yeah, fun. Yeah, don't, don't go into it thinking I'm watching a remake of the 1970s uh, iconic classic black christmas go into it thinking i'm watching a very entertaining mid-2000s slasher with a high body count don't be subtight don't you know again i i really i was one of those people when i first saw this film like oh my god what a fucking disgrace what a fucking disgrace i was very much like that i, my, I went and saw it with my ex and i just bitched the whole way home and he was like jesus christ shut up about it it wasn't that bad uh but i i've i've, I've come to appreciate it and just don't be so uptight. I mean, remakes, remakes don't take anything away from the original film. You still have the original film. This, uh, you know, throw the original film in. But this is a such an entertaining film. Now, 2019 film where that's a totally different story. That's a piece of shit. Yeah, but that's that's Black Christmas. It's it's a great time. It's a great, and you are right. There is not a better film to watch that captures 
the Christmas atmosphere than this one. And it's yeah, so that's that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, and and Troy, I, I I'm in the exact same boat as you. I think that while it, it it certainly can't hold a candle to the sheer suspense of the original film, it entertains me from beginning to end. It offers a fantastic cast of talents that have we've gone on to see have some really phenomenal careers, and it's in my opinion very loving and respectful of the the, the source material. Because it's not trying to be the source material. I agree. And that's at the end of the day, I think that's where this film gets me. Or that's where I, I feel like that's where that's where I can appreciate this film. Because it does pay such careful and loving tribute to the original film in many ways. And you don't see that with a lot of remakes. So I appreciate that. But that's that's Black Christmas. Now, I do say that we... You know, that this film is one that is drenched in Christmas Christmas atmosphere, unlike, you know, you, you, we talk about, we, you mentioned it's probably one of the more Christmassy horror films out there. However, I would say that the film that we are covering next week could give it a run for its money. Oh, yeah. And not only that, but it's a film that was produced on a significantly smaller budget. Um, I feel that we have, I don't want to say straight away from, but just... I think to lure in our fan base, we stick to a lot of titles, a lot of films that we know people are going to respond to or know. And thus we fall into a lot of pretty mainstream offerings, even if they're dated, still mainstream offerings. The next film we've picked is pretty damn obscure. It's extremely independent, but I think they managed to do something pretty phenomenal with it and make something uh, that... I think definitely exceeds expectations, all things considered. Um, my pick for our next episode is 2015's, again, Holiday Slasher, because we're sticking with the theme here, All Through the House, directed by Todd Nunes. Yeah, starring Jessica Cameron, Ashley Mary Nunes, his sister. I... I'm not going to get in. We're, we're going on two hours and 10 minutes now with this episode. So I'm not going to, you know, say much about all through the house, except guys, if you have never seen all through the house, please, please, please watch it within the next week, because I think you will be pleasantly surprised. It's a killer Santa Claus flick, but it does again, much like the black Christmas remake. It does its own thing. It's not copying other killer Santa Claus flicks. Um, and it is extremely atmospheric with Christmas imagery, and I have a lot to say about it. It is, I will say, it's 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 quickly becoming one of my favorite holiday horror films. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, we're going to save a lot of our banter for that episode. But I got to say, um, while we cover a lot of mainstream films, Troy and I are indie filmmakers at heart. That's what we do. It's what we love. And one of the exciting elements of next week's episode and, and talking about this title is discussing the power of indie, of indie film and what can be done with a small budget. And I will tell you guys, just, just as a heads up, um, and this is not why Roger picked this. He picked this. I did not pick this. I mean, I'm absolutely glad he did. But I actually have a lot of ties to this film with the director. Me and him are, have been friends facebook friends social media friends for quite some time and have actually chatted through 
social media, through email. I've actually interviewed him about this film. So if you want to check that out, if you go to frightmeter.com, I don't update. That's my old blog. It hasn't been updated for years, but it's still up and click on interviews at the top. You will see my interview with the director about this film. So I know a lot of just like little tidbits about this film that might not, that other people might not know. He's super supportive of me, um, of other indie filmmakers. So I do implore you to watch this film. And, and show him some some love because it is for what he accomplished on such a small budget is quite impressive if you ask me so that's all i'll say so you, you'll get a, this it'll be a very insightful episode i'm so glad we're covering it because it's a film you don't see get talked about a lot and it does it deserves a lot more attention a lot more t- it's certainly eons better than the 2019 black christmas i will guarantee you that yeah, absolutely. Give this guy a budget. Give him a budget that. and he could do some shit because what he yeah. did with this film is incredible. Yeah. And it's creepy ass killer Santa. So yes, all through the house guys, check it out before next Friday when the episode drops. And so that you will be able to enjoy what we talk about without fear of the film being spoiled for you. Okay. But we are going to call tonight. We are two hours and 15 minutes into this and I knew we were going to have a lot to say about black Christmas, but I think we should end it, Roger. Oh, yeah. And I think I think we said it. I think we said it and a whole lot more. And as always, listeners, I hope you like what you heard. And if you like what you heard, you know what to do. Get over to Apple Podcast. Leave a little love. Leave a Christmas gift. Yes. Something in our stocking. And, uh, and maybe join that Patreon that we promoted earlier because we're going to keep on filling that stocking with gifts for you. Yeah, but we would be happy with just a nice little five-star review on Apple Podcasts, folks. Talk about Troy's voice. People seem to love Troy's voice. Oh, my gosh. My voice, I sound like a young Demi Moore. (laughs) But Troy, my God, sensual. I call him the Velvet Tongue. I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) Trying I'm trying to sound sexier each episode. For our listeners. Now I'm sounding like now I'm sounding now I'm sounding like my, that southern woman. I <laughs> <laughs> the one that Teresa loves. Teresa loves when you. I know. Aye, aye, aye. On that note, guys, uh, can't wait to see you next week when we go all through the house mm, with you. Can't wait. Till then, we bid you adieu. To all a good night. <laughs>